Um, in terms of the war on terror, who do you think should be the next country to invade? Saudi Arabia. Maybe somebody in the Middle East. We'll make a big glass crater out of the fucking Middle East, for all I care. I'm, I'm thinking Italy. Italy. Mm -hmm. Cuba. Cuba? Yeah. Iran. Iran? Why is that? Uh, I think there's a revolution going on pretty soon. Russia, China, India, and Pakistan. Indonesia, Brazil. Korea. Korea? Sure. Yeah, why do you say that? They're trouble. They're trouble? Yep, okay. What, what's trouble about them? <laughs> Your attitude. Hello, this is Chaos Radio, the international edition episode number 11. My name is Tim Pritloff. We haven't been posting many updates to this podcast recently, but this is about to change. And we are starting off with a recording of an interview I did at the DLD conference in Munich. This is hopefully the beginning of a new series of new international interviews here on this channel. We will see how this turns out, but for now I switch over to the interview. I'm very happy to be here with Stephen Levy. Do I pronounce this correctly? Yes, um, well, <coughs> you're, you're doing lots of things and so maybe you just introduce yourself uh, first because I'm sure. sure you could do this better than I do. Well, I'm a writer. I've written about technology for uh, over 20 years. Um, my first book uh, was called Hackers. It came out in 1984. And uh, I've written five books since, and I work for Newsweek magazine now. So, um, this, this book you already mentioned, Hackers, and the tagline was uh, Heroes of the Computer Revolution, described the, the hacker scene in, in uh, well, basically in three steps, three decades of evolution, beginning in the early days at MIT, and then going over to the hardware hacking era of the 70s, with uh, Apple coming out with the Apple uh, computers, and uh, later on f much more focusing uh, on the gaming part in, in the 80s, if I summarize this correctly. So, after all this time, I mean, when was the book published? In 1984. 1984. So, that's, that's a long long way. Um, do you think that the observations you did in that book are sort of still valid and hold some truth for today? I, I was really lucky in, in writing that book to stumble upon that topic, which had not really been addressed uh, at any length. And, you know, it's not just the beginnings of hacking that I write about, really the beginnings of computer culture. Uh, as I researched the book, it became clear that what happened at MIT in the late 1950s and early 1960s uh, was something which had a, a huge long-term effect on the computer culture. Uh, and anyone who really comes in contact with computers and later the internet. And I think it's surprising that after the book came out, I think the things I wrote about uh, became even more relevant with the internet and then later the open source movement. And it was just a, almost a happenstance that the last chapter of the book uh, was about, the last section was about Richard Stallman, uh, who 
was you know no one had ever written about him before i sort of came across him just living in uh tech square at mit and of course he became uh a godfather of the open source movement and between the internet and open source i a really kept the book current and people were able to point to it for the lessons it had it, it, it gave people in negotiating uh this world of sharing and openness and while commercialism was also going on at the same time. So uh, the observations I made about the hacker ethic uh, turned out to be still valid. And uh, apparently from the mail I get and you know, people still talking about hackers, uh, it's useful to a lot of people. So I'd say yes, you know, uh, this is you know, one book you know, where a lot of the content is not dated at all. There are many very well different but mainly negative connotations of the term hacker what is your personal definition of a hacker well uh i think a hacker is someone who's uh zest for computing is unbounded and who proceeds really in in, in, in a state You know, that's rather pure as a quest for knowledge, a desire to get your hands on things, to tinker, to manipulate the world. Uh, and computers offer the best opportunity for that because they're so malleable. Um, so my definition of a hacker uh, does not at all necessarily mean someone who does bad things, breaks into things. When I wrote the book, I had the freedom to really apply the term in, in that classic sense because it really hadn't been associated yet uh, as being synonymous with people who break into computers or, uh, or steal or muck up other people's stuff. Uh, that happened a few years afterwards. And on one hand, that's unfortunate. On the other hand, you really can't control what happens to language. You know, and it just turned out that that term uh, became applied to that. So right now, I think hacker, the word hacker, has multiple definitions. And one is that uh, you know, more positive force that I mentioned earlier. And I think it's also a secondary uh, definition is, you know, uh, the, the, a, a troublemaker, a, the, a thief, someone who manipulates computers and hacks into systems, uh, not necessarily for good. So I think there's two definitions. The one I prefer and the one I certainly use in the book is that positive one of someone who, who positively shapes a world uh, uh, maybe driven by a quest for knowledge and a quest for manipulation. I had a recent talk with uh, with uh, Whitfield Diffie and uh, he was following one of my uh, lectures I was giving on the Chaos Computer Club and I was also relating to the old uh, MIT story and uh, um, the Railroad Club. Uh, and he said, well, I, I left out one definition that the, the term hacking uh, had in the back in the days and he defined it as uh, playing tricks on somebody. Have you been aware of this definition as well? Definitely. I think that's, that, that's included in there. There's an element of playfulness. And, uh, you know, Witt, who actually is one of the key subjects of a later book I wrote, Crypto, uh, and who was at MIT uh, during some of the artificial intelligence days, is certainly right on that. You know, the origin of the word hacker quite arguably comes from the way they use the word hack at MIT, which was a, a grand trick, a trick which involves some measure of you know cleverness and technical technical virtuosity uh a prank so uh 
not something that ruined someone's life, but but something which you know uh, astounded people. Uh, maybe required a little cleaning up afterwards, but uh, <laughs> there's something done in the spirit of this is so awesome, uh, and right. you know that that certainly was included. And in certainly, I wrote about that sort of playfulness a lot by book. So, do, do you think it's possible to to regain this original definition uh, of the term in, 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 in media today? I think, you know, I, I think both terms will get used. I think it's sort of a waste of time to start reclaiming a word. How can you get rid of a way someone uses a word? Language is like a river. You just can't change the river. Right. You know, so that the way the way it worked out is this river took a turn, which maybe causes trouble for people who are classical hackers. But it's just a word. You know, get over it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not really complaining. I'm just wanted to know how you see it from your media position as well. So wh when I read your book, I found it quite interesting that you had, well, you seem to have a very close connection to the people you were writing about. So especially in the, in the first uh, chapter in the MIT Times, what was your, your, your direct involvement in, into the scene? Were you just an outstanding, uh, uh, somebody standing outside mm -hmm. of the scene and, and, and looking from far away? Or have you been closer to this people? Well, uh, that's, a, that's a flattering thing to say because obviously the first part of the book uh, took place well before I researched it. Um, is a, when I started writing the book, uh, I hadn't really even planned to cover that era. I thought I would start the book in Silicon Valley in 19, mid-1970s, and then have a second section that was more contemporary with when I was writing it in the early 80s. But as I researched it, I began to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's this really important story here, which actually sets the stage for what we know of as hacking and from the computer culture, and that was MIT back then. So uh, my research led me to that. And then I started talking to those people and tried to win their trust uh, so they would talk frankly to me. And they looked at me at first with suspicion because what they had was very special. And I was an outsider, uh, a journalist, which isn't some, someone who typically gets it wrong. <laughs> uh, and I just wound up spending a lot of time with these people. Um, and attempted to reconstruct what happened back then and uh, I you know it's interesting I in, in the first uh, rev of the book there were a few technical errors I, I had I didn't show it to them before I wrote it um, which I realize now is a mistake uh, but I come out of a culture where you don't in journalism you don't show things to your subjects before you write it so there were a few technical errors but they all agreed But basically, I got it right. I got, got the, the, the spirit right. And, and I knew this right away because the, the week the book came out, there was a, uh, an event called the Hacker Conference where many of the people in the book were invited. And then we gave a book to every person. The first thing they did was look at the index and see their own name and what happened to them. And you know, So it was gratifying in the sense they say, well, yeah, you, 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 you sort of got that. And, and uh, it's, it's nice that you say that I seem to have been close to those people because uh, I spent a lot of time with them, uh, but I'm not a hacker personally. Uh, I just wanted to understand what they did, and I admired what they did, and I hope that comes through in the book. Oh, yeah, it definitely uh, does. So uh, you say you, you have been much closer to the scene uh, in the second and third, third part, uh, which also, also includes the time of the uh, Homebrew Computer Club, which is sort of the first visible... Uh, 
and named community of, of hackers of, of some sort. Have you been ever to one of these homebrew meetings? I, I, I was there in time to come to some of the homebrew meetings. And then, but of course, in the early 1980s, it was not the same as it was the very first few meetings when people were talking about the Altair computer and someone showed up with one. And this was this thing that you controlled with these switches. You couldn't, even, you know, there was no input. There was no keyboard. What a keyboard. And uh, it wasn't even an output. The only output was the little lights on it. And then, of course, uh, people in the Homebrew Computer Club designed their own computers. There was the Apple, there was the Sol, there was a number of others. Um, but... Uh, when I started going to the Homebrew Computer Club, it was, let's say, just around the time the IBM PC was coming out. There were new PCs coming out all the time. Uh, one of my main characters, Lee Felsenstein, designed the Osborne computer, the first portable computer. You would never think of it as a portable computer now. It's, you know, the size of a suitcase nuke, right? Uh, actually, a suitcase nuke is probably more portable. It's, 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 <laughs> yes. it's called a luggable yes, computer, it and it had a half-size screen that uh, only covered one the width of one line of text at a typical page there. So you had to sort of you know, scroll vertically as, as, uh, or horizontally as well as vertically. So... Um, but uh, so it was a little different. But but there was still a lot of what I was writing about in the early seventies, mid seventies, was still around in the early eighties. And of course, the third part uh, about the game hackers, which I was really more interested in the commercialization of hacking, and how hacking stood up to all of a sudden there was money in this, which was uh, a first in, in the eighties. I actually wound up living for a time uh, with one of the game companies, and uh, so I, I was able to cover that in real time. Which was micro... That was called Sierra Online. Ah, Sierra Online, right. Um, which produced one of the few very famous games in, in their time. Um, so, well, so have you, have you ever thought about making a second part, probably covering the uh, two decades that fo followed? You know, I'm asked a lot about what about a sequel for hackers. And in my mind... Uh, I've written six books now, and I'd say of the four, of the five that followed Hackers, maybe four of them are arguably sequels to Hackers. In a couple of them, I literally returned to the scene uh, of the crime, so to speak, uh, back to Tech Square in, at MIT in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, my book in crypto, I was back in that same building where the AI lab was, uh, because that's where our, the RSA algorithm was invented. And... Uh, in Artificial Life is another book I wrote. Uh, I was back on the ninth floor because I was talking about the robotics lab there. So uh, that same spirit and inventiveness and creativeness and what drives that world uh, and those people populate my writing in general. So uh, in the most pedestrian sense, no, it's not a sequel following those people or uh, I haven't written a book about crackers or malicious hackers and the chase for the hackers and things like that there's been a lot of those books they're all pretty much the same and but uh, I think that I'm following the path uh, that opened up by these creative people in a lot of my work subsequent okay so <coughs> you already talked about Richard Stallman and the birth of the uh, open source movement with the Free Software Foundation later on um, did you Did you find this original spirit that you observed in the very first community, did you find this sort of uh, continued in, in his work and what other people took on, probably with the Linux scene and other scenes? 
Well, sure. The Stallman story is fascinating because his totally hardcore pursuit of free software uh, was forged by his experiences in the AII lab. First, his experience in an atmosphere of sharing, which was sort of a paradise for him, in which he literally came of age in there. He, he was like a teenager who uh, found a haven there. And then it all fell apart, and he saw the ugliness of commercialism when the lab was split by you know, the, these different competing Lisp machine companies who wanted to commercialize software. That was a nightmare for him. Uh, it was like a child going through a divorce, and it left a deep scar to him, and I think that shaped, uh, it, it helped uh, harden his resolve and you know, made him you know, extreme, I guess you know, arguably in a very good sense, uh, about free software. And those experiences, you know, the ones I wrote about in, in the book, were really it's the, the rosebud, so to speak, of Richard Stallman. Uh, if you want to know why, for years and years, he had done such good work towards open source and free software, yeah, there's your answer. And again, luckily that also was in real time because I, I met him when I returned to the AI lab or when I was there, you know, he, he was going through this experience uh, then in the early 80s. And, you know, I, I sort of called him the last of the, the true hackers, which is sort of a joke because he actually was uh, one of the torchbearers in many generations of hackers to come. So <clears throat> the, the scene you described in, in, in the hackers book uh, is well. It's it's basically all based in the U.S. So it's 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 a very American story. And and with the with the coming of Linux, um, well, a European component was was added in a way, of course, because Linus Torvalds was from Finland. And if you uh, look at Europe today, especially in Germany, the Linux scene is is very strong. The support is very strong, and it's also a very political movement in a way. Uh, sometimes going hand in hand with the hacker scene. Sometimes totally on its own. Um, when did the European hacker perspective came into view for the first time? I think it, uh, it sort of evolved as uh, the com com computer computers spread. And really, uh, as people were connected more, that culture naturally spread. And, and my, one of the points I make in the book, really, is that this culture really springs from you know, the act of a certain kind of person uh, discovering the computer and acting out what's, you know, maybe not, even, maybe not genetically there, but certainly, uh, you know, behaving in a way that someone with, you know, the hacker DNA, so to speak, will act when he or she, normally he has the opportunity to get in touch with the computer and manipulate the world in, in that way. Um, and have fun in that way. Now, in Europe, what's a little different, I've noticed, is uh, I saw the hacker impulse, from my point of view as a writer, as a political impulse. But very few people, very few hackers, you know, including the ones I wrote about, uh, saw it as overtly political. There were exceptions. Lee Felsenstein, who I write about in this, the second section, uh, saw that. But I thought it was a very political point of view, uh, one which was, you know, very, uh, you know, dependent on, 
liberalization. It was a populist point of view, um, and it was one which is very anti-authoritarian. I think, by and large, there's more of a conscious political component in the European flavor of hackerism. Uh, they're more likely to you think in political terms to say what we're doing is political as they do it. So, have you been following the development of the scene in, in, in America since since then? So, I mean, there are a bunch of hacker style or hacker conferences all over uh, the place. Have you been to any of these and felt the spirit there? You know, I haven't followed it all that closely, but I have you know, followed it somewhat. I've been to a couple of the hacker conferences. Uh, Hope is in New York City where I live. And, uh, uh, so I've dropped in on, on, on a couple of those. Um, it, it's interesting because, you know, while on one hand, a tenor of our conversation talks about the uh, hacker that follows the definition of someone who breaks into systems and things like that, there's sort of an element there that does that in somewhat of a joyous sense, which is is very prominent in these hacker conferences and they focus a lot on uh the breaking into systems aspect of hacking as opposed to uh the kind of hacking that someone like steve wozniak or andy hertzfeld would do so even though steve wozniak maybe would speak at one of these conferences and, and be hailed as a hero uh the rank and file of these people are are sort of the 2600 crowd uh who exchange information uh not on getting into systems not necessarily maliciously and maybe you know just to learn but the line between that and causing trouble is sort of fuzzy so uh, in, in, in a way it's understandable how the, the word becomes blurred because uh, as the years go on I think the line between that sort of activity and a, a new very malicious strain of uh, dark side people has really come to prominence in a way which you wouldn't have imagined 20 years ago. Uh, it used to be very unusual for a, quote, hacker to be out in it for the money, to steal. You know, right. it, it, and, you know for a surprisingly long time, there wasn't much of that. And now it, 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 it's everywhere. And, and I think that the people, a lot of the people who were, uh, you know, swiping credit card numbers and selling them on ICQ and IRC, I mean, on IRC and, and things like that, uh, in, in my observation, sort of consider themselves hackers uh, and identify with, 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 with that thing. And I think, you know, it's taking someone's uh, you know, credit card or identity and selling it, it is just antithetical to the kind of hackerism that I wrote about in the book. Um, but there is sort of a... a, a blurriness uh, of, over there, you know, not to say that this is what chaos is doing, but there is a lot of people doing this, you know, and some of them are following scripts, but some of them are technologically adept. Sure, and actively pursuing these things. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's related that back in these times, the internet or any, any network or even any access to computer <laughs> system was paradise. And of course, reality was still very far away. Right now, we find the internet and reality going hand in hand in a way. So all the big trouble of the real world is now getting into this as well. 
causing a lot of temptation, especially for young uh, hackers, to use their skills in a bad way. And that's definitely uh, happening here and there. Although I think that the hacker scene, the scene that itself sort of relates to the old times as well as the Chaos Computer Club is doing it actively, uh, is, is, is still much more uh, focused on, the, on this political vision that you uh, just mentioned. Right, and you know, I mean, to me, a, a big part of, of hacking is just the wow part of it, you know. Hey, look what I can do. I, I did this, and whether it's just a, a really neat trick, you know, like, uh, you know something that, that causes delight, or, you know, uh, or, even a, or even a prank, or something which is you know uh and you know like an amazing thing to do right like napster right um uh, put aside the, the concept of infringement what a great hack that was i mean to peer to peer it's, it's brilliant i mean it changed the world right and and i think in a very positive sense you know. mm -hmm. yes i would agree so um <coughs> The, well, the, the Chaos Computer Club is probably one of these groups in Europe that pretty actively took on this, on this original political idea. And, and you, um, in, in this book, Hackers, you, you uh, put together these hacker ethics, how you, how you described it. Uh, some people relate to it as rules, but I don't think that either you nor I uh, would uh, see it that way. That's correct. Um, and I think it's a, it's a very interesting observation you did because some of these things um, today are pretty obvious. Like you can create art and beauty with a computer. Nobody would argue about this. Although back in these days it was totally news because computers were just used for right. whatever. But definitely not to create art. Um, although you could definitely yeah. call the first programs art in a way like space war and these things. Uh, other things, I think, are still very true and still uh, need some uh, re reflection in, in, the, in the general public. Things like uh, providing access to the system for everybody, which is also a, a, a meme that the CCC holds up pretty high. Uh, in, the, in the European discussion, so especially in the, in the discussion in Germany, uh, on these hacker ethics and, and, and principles that are sort of associated with this, uh, we came up with two extra uh, sentences that, that we are usually adding to this. Uh, one is that uh, you don't have to, uh, you should not uh, mess with other people's data, and um, the statement use public data and protect private data, which much more uh, focuses on this uh, privacy uh, scheme that, that is. Um, yeah, st a strong discussion point in, in Europe all the time. Um, do you think this is also valid for uh, the American scene? And how do you relate to these extensions in a way? Well, I don't know. I, it, it's, it's really interesting to hear this, so, you know, because as you mentioned before, the those parts those of the hacker ethic, which you know, they're in boldface in the book, and you know, I, I set them out there, uh, were more in the sense of observations. And they were rules, and these were something I thought this is the core beliefs, whether they're articulated or not, of this kind of person, the genre hackers, true hackers. Um, I wonder a little about your two other ones. I mean, how much are they uh, just righteous ways to live, right? To add, to add to that and how much are they uh, almost like the ingrained beliefs 
of people who are hackers. Um, it, it sounds like it's almost like it, you know, it certainly makes sense. And you know, as Bob Dylan said, uh, to live outside the law, you must be honest. And you're two extra, you know, uh, uh, ethics, ethicettes, what do we call them, uh, seem to follow that. But if you go back to MIT there, uh, a lot of these hardcore hackers just actually didn't believe in privacy at all. They felt that it, the privacy was not optimal. Uh, that, you know, and uh, you should not passwords. And it's an interesting stance. I think one that could be argued. I mean, you know, I can I can listen to an argument about privacy being overrated. I mean, this works well in paradise. <laughs> but well, it's, I mean, it's what's, a big so what's right what's now. privacy? I mean, you know, that, that, that I think the what I the feeling I got from a lot of original hackers is that it, 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 it's a waste of time. Uh, it, you know, it, it just slows things down. It gum puts up walls. It gums up the works. Uh, what do you need privacy for? What's the function of privacy? What's the what's the point of privacy? What can you get with privacy? And it's sort of heretical, but I think I, I found people who thought that way. They they hated locks. Locks, you know, I'm not talking about you put on a bagel. I mean, like, you know, the, 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 the things that, that said, here's a door, you can't go in there. Here's a safe, you can't go in there. Uh, they were seen by a lot of the people as, you know, bad things and people took locksmith courses just to learn to break them and you know, they were they were in the front yeah well because these locks were keeping them away from from knowledge and and, and possible research but i think today uh, as we are more and more depending on these networks and it's not just something you can play with and learn with um, there are some other aspects coming coming into the discussion and one of them is definitely that The lives of the individual is uh, the, the the life of the individual is more and more sort of well at least influenced if not controlled by information that is available about him, and by uh, pushing him into exposing more of his well whatever private data um, properties or things he does, um, of course there is more to exploit. If you want to secure a system on the internet, I, I think we can't argue that this is a bad thing. Of course, you have to secure your system on the internet. Uh, the same way you sort of secure yourself on the internet as well, because otherwise uh, bad things can happen in, in, in many ways. Uh, the problem of identity stealing, uh, people just like buying with your money uh, right well that's, that's huge I mean, you, something you, as, as you say yeah it, it's it's a belief forged in paradise you know the, the the reality of it and particularly since the internet became what it was become is that we're you know we're we're we're, we're, we're screwed i mean you know we we, have, we built the system based largely on the, these hacker beliefs of openness that's that that's the You know, the, the philosophy behind the internet is no locks, open systems. Sure. And that's why, that's one big reason why, why we're screwed, because it's tough to uh, develop an infrastructure that we're, is based on commerce where this stuff is safe. Uh, and, you know, so uh, it's sad that 
humans are criminals, right? And that, that, that you know, if there's a temptation to steal. I think the original hackers are the kind of people that if you left your wallet in the room, your money would be there. Right. If you had an interesting, interesting document with some secrets in it, they never would read it, but they wouldn't take your money. Yeah, if they're true hackers, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever that is. So uh, apart from Europe and, and, the, and the US or the North American uh, sphere, do you had any reactions on, on your book or, or general work or other uh, books following the original one uh, from other parts of the world that are somehow different? Well, there's a big, there's an interesting uh, hacker community in, in Japan, for instance. And they take this stuff very seriously. Um, and, you know, I've, I've actually been to meetings in Japan of, uh, of, of hackers. That's kind of interesting. Um, uh, I'd be curious to know what's happening in China, whether that movement is gaining traction. What about Latin America? Um, I get a lot of mail from them. I, I've never been down there. Okay. So... Yeah, thanks uh, for your thoughts. Uh, anything you'd like to uh, add, probably targeted towards the European hacker scenes? Uh, well, I, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm just super impressed that the chaos has been around for so long and, you know, and, and, and still, is a, still is a presence. I mean, I heard about it a really long time ago. We were talking about the Hacker Bible. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just you know, in, in, impressed that you guys have... Uh, Uh, managed to stay vital all these years. Yeah, it's uh, it's an in interesting development, and uh, actually, I think that that the um, the movement is sort of st getting stronger in these days, as we more uh, we are more and more confronted with the uh, original problems. Uh, I mean, the CCC was founded in 1981. You you wrote your book in 84, and actually, 84 was probably the most important year for the CCC. At all. Because of my book? No, 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 no. Because <laughs> <was> uh, <laughs> it was maybe. <laughs> I mean, it, it all adds up to yeah. this this point somehow magically. Uh, 1984 was the, f uh, the the year when we both started our own publication, Datenschleuder, and uh, did the first Chaos Communication uh, Congress. And of course, it was the icon right. of uh, total surveillance by uh, the book of George Orwell, in a way. And since Then throughout the 80s, this, this, this uh, paranoia was very strong, uh, very, very strong influence in, in how this, uh, uh, the scene was, was shaped and was thinking of itself. So it was a very political movement from, from the beginning and it was also a very diverse group, not only focusing on the technology as such, but uh, getting people in from all kinds of society. So, and in the 90s when everything was like great and open source was winning and the internet was taking over and you know everything was fine uh, this sort of slowed down but then uh, got new dynamics when computers became so popular that uh, every young one uh, liked it and then actually hacker being a hacker was mm. sort of cool for the very young ones and now there's this backslash of this uh, both globalization and the current uh, global crisis in, in policy and this total paranoia and terrorism where people sort of get back to the original values and, 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 and rethink everything uh, in this original context so th this was what was also very much under discussion at the last Chaos yeah. Communication Congress well to me the hackers have won I mean, this point of view has promulgated way beyond anyone's expectations. Certainly my feeling when I wrote the book 
And I think it's been a terrific force. I think the hacker way of looking at things is is everywhere. And I think people who aren't hackers sort of somehow it gets communicated to them that there's this different way of looking at things. There's this creative way of breaking a log jam, seeing things differently, being creative, getting your hands on things, uh, you know, doing stuff, right? Uh, which is very prominent in society. Uh, whereas originally, you know, when I wrote the book, it was just this rather obscure, misunderstood subculture. Uh, now, I, I think there's been a terrific triumph for the hackers. That, uh, through the medium of the computers and the internet uh, and kind of wed to, you know, their personalities being known and, and people, you know, under, understand about people like that and, and admire them, as you say. I think, you know, the, the essence, the good stuff of hackerism has really spread and, and people sort of, you know, kind of get what, what it is to have an impulse to get your hands on things and change them and be able to do that. You know, blogging, say. You don't have to be a hacker to blog. There's nothing to do with hacking technically, but uh, it's the same sort of impulse, right? Hack the media. Go ahead. So I, so I, I think, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a great try. Okay. Thank you very much, Thank Stephen, for this uh, small interview. And uh, I was very glad to have the opportunity to talk to you. Very uh, I hope we can welcome you to one of our conferences uh, in the near future. I'd love to be there. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Goodbye.